Welcome to the new episode of We Have A Voice podcast. Today I'm talking to Tilia Lenz, my social work lecturer. I will just let her introduce herself. Yeah, so I'm Tilia Lenz. I'm a senior lecturer at Bournemouth University. Um, I've been at BU now for a couple of years. Before that, I was part of what's called um, a teaching partnership, which is local authorities and um, the university working really closely together um, around social work education in the widest sense and essentially improving outcomes for service users, patients and the, the people that we serve at the end of the day. Um, before all of that, I was a social worker, practitioner and manager in local authorities and the third sector and mostly worked in child protection settings. Amazing. Um, so this podcast is looking at educational outcomes for looked after children. After working in a placement at a high school, a big thing that I've been looking into is their outcomes in education and what a big difference there is from children living at home and looked after children. I think roughly if we're looking at their grades, 51.9% of children living at home are achieving grades five or above in English or maths compared to 12.6% of looked after children and that's only one percent higher than children on child protection. What's your experience and your view on the educational outcomes of looked after children? I think I can speak from that really privileged position where I started working in the UK as a social worker um, in 2006, which was before the financial crisis, before um, measures of austerity were really put in place, which had a significant impact on the educational provision for the foster children or provision for children generally and families that were in need of a service. Um, and for me, the, the provision of education starts at home. Um, our parents are able to support the children. Now, if home is dangerous, abusive, um, frightening, then clearly you're not going to learn there as a child. No. Um, if school is the only place where you feel mildly safe, where you can connect with people, um, that may be good. But sometimes school can also be that frightening and scary place for children and young people who've gone through trauma and abuse. And I think. In the past, um, we've tried to support children and young people in those situations, and there was a good understanding of trauma-informed care and trauma-informed education. So I'm quite aware of a number of um, provisions and services that were put in place in the day, 2006 to 2008, um, that were really beneficial for children that were in the care system. Um, I then, so we say, travelled through time and services and have seen a decline of those services being available. The services may still be there, but the thresholds for them to be accessed for children and young people who are in the care system, who by definition have experienced trauma and abuse, has just declined. It's yeah, really I think one to... in uh, um, some research I, I looked at, um, I think one of the challenges for social workers that they find is finding the resources so whether it's the state's role as a parent to provide them what is it so their role to make sure looked after children have maximum opportunity to reach their full potential but mm -hmm. that 
their full potential isn't being reached, in my opinion, because they're even social workers are saying there isn't the resources or places out there to help them. Absolutely. I, I would agree with you there. Um, it, it unfortunately comes down to money. Um, mm. it, it isn't the lack of goodwill of people wanting to support and help. Every school would want to support and help a child that's gone through really traumatic experiences. Mm. But if you've got 30 other children in the classroom and maybe five or six others who have gone through um, similar experiences or have um, higher educational and social needs you're not going to manage that as a as a teacher in primary or secondary school so that will then have an impact on all other children so we're, we're ending up with a situation where children get excluded um, and I would probably advocate it's not even their own fault because no child will say to their caregiver please give me abuse mm. they want love they want attention yeah, because I looked at suspensions as well, um, because that's a lot of the behaviour I saw in the high school. I think the from speaking to some of the teachers there, they sort of come into high school and everything seems to be OK and they can deal with it. Obviously, not in all cases, but I think as those hormone changes and as they get older, that that behaviour really does um peak um and i looked i think children in so children not in care so living at home Mm -hmm. i think they they have 1.97 percent suspensions compared to um looked after children that have been in in care for longer than 12 months and that's 9.38 percent so it's quite a big a big difference I think and I think that does like you said it comes out in the behavior that that's seen in school yeah it, it does and um I, I would be keen to not attribute blame to anyone um be it the, the education providers the individual teachers um all the people who look after the children at the end of the day foster carers play a significant role mm-hmm. in this and again the the whole care or look after children's care settings um, are really complex and finding good foster carers who can support children and young people who are in education that's a yeah. task for them because yeah. very often children are placed away from their own school um, that they attended previously they have to travel sometimes many many miles um, yeah. a couple of hours in a taxi or the foster care has to get them there and back so those tensions that will automatically build up if you have to ferry a child around all day, every day, um, that's going to have an impact on family dynamics in, in foster care. Yeah, I read about foster carers and uh, such a high percentage have like this stress, um, secondary stress disorder. Mm-hmm. And, and in foster carers, that's a lot. And that as much as they try not to pass that stress on to the foster children, I think that's a massive part. I think the support for foster carers, my friend herself, she's a foster carer and everything had been, she she hasn't had too many, but she had one child and the, the way she was, the violence, the, and there was no support. And at the end of it, no one, no one told her how it was going to be. No one, no one came and helped her when she needed it. And at the end, when she said, oh, well, now I'm, I don't want to have anyone now that's not in education because she was there all the time. They turned around and asked her, are you sure you won't have her back again? 
and there was no there was no offer of how to deal with these behaviors and i think then that breaks down the placements even more which causes more instability and i think yeah i think that's why there's less foster carers or more leaving anyway it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy at the end of the day it's um, down to resources again and um, i've not met a foster carer who didn't want to give their very best to the yeah. children that they've had placed. I've been a supervising foster, um, supervising social worker uh, for a couple of years and supported quite a number of foster carers with children and young people who had very complex needs, including educational needs. Yeah. Um, and very often children, even if you can find a relatively local placement that may only be five miles down the road, um, if you've got three children, just remembering one family, three children placed who all go to three different schools, that's a really logistical nightmare for someone. And five miles doesn't sound very far, mm. but doing that in um, school traffic rush hour from, well, Paul to Bournemouth, five miles becomes an hour. Yeah. In the car with three children. Yeah, who are anxious, who are frightened, who've been abused, who've been um, through really traumatic experiences, that hour becomes really tense. So actually those children aren't necessarily able to, well, uh, they're not necessarily ready for learning when they get to school. Yeah. If you can't afford yeah. three children in the back of your car, you might know how tensions rise whilst you're stuck in traffic for an hour, yeah. whilst they're hungry, whilst their yeah. worries are rising about what's going to happen. Um, everyone knows in school what's happened to them. There is a huge stigma attached to being a looked after child. Yeah. They may get bullied. So school may not be that safe place. Um, I think it's if they like to think, I know they try to keep them um, looked after children in the same school. And I think it's great they go to school and that's where you want them to be. But I've known children in my placement that were travelling nearly two hours in a taxi to school because they were in like respite and their placements Mm -hmm. were breaking down and then they sit in school and I think how tired must they be Um, Mm -hmm. and then they're thinking about and I spoke to I've done a podcast with another girl and it was she would think in school where am I going to be next and being present in those lessons it just would it wasn't possible. Yes, they might have turned up to school, which is great for an attendance tick, but they weren't really able to fully engage in what's happening. And that's probably fair to say that in the past, it was um, quite the norm for social workers to see children in school um, because it was easier for the social worker. Hmm. And I'm just as guilty as everyone else about that. Um, That was just common practice. I think hopefully as a profession, we've moved a little bit away from that because really that actually check with the young person or child um, shouldn't just be our convenience it should actually meet the need of the young person that we're working with but when you know that social worker will turn up in school and you get pulled out of class because that's what's just the one hour slot that the social worker had available that is really really stigmatizing and unpleasant you stick out like well the weirdo in class because your social worker is there again and if that social worker had removed you from your family before, it's just really triggering trauma. How can you then afterwards go back into class and be ready for learning? So I think there's a lot about our social work practice that we need to take into account um, when we engage with children and young people. Yeah, definitely. So I've, he- I've read up about the strengths and difficulties questionnaire. 
that is supposed to be done as they enter care. Is that right? It depends on um, which organisation you, you work for, essentially. The strengths and difficulties questionnaire have been around for oh, probably 20 odd years. Um, so in some local authorities that have been incorporated into the, the paperwork that gets filled out if and when a child comes into care. Um, some use it as a standalone document. So it really depends on where you are. Okay, so what is the assessment process when a child comes into care of their emotional, so like their mental health? What is done? So how would you decide if they needed support? Or- I would argue that probably all children and young people who come into care need emotional support to make sense yes, of the situation that they've just experienced. Yeah. Um, sometimes I've just experienced yet again. It's hugely traumatic to be removed from your family. Um, And not all removers are um, easy, um, if we use that word. Um, Sometimes there there is a lot of blood, sweat and tears involved on all sides. Yeah. Um, And it it can be just really, really scary. Um, So I would advocate that all children need that support. It isn't available. It has never been available. Now, as social workers, we have some understanding of um, mental health and emotional needs, but we aren't qualified to diagnose. No. We can make a general assessment of the well-being of a child or young person, but we can't say that someone has um, post-traumatic stress disorder from the domestic abuse that they've experienced. That is not our role. That is not our responsibility. We can have a view that someone may display some signs of PTSD because of their experience. So we need to be careful with our wording there. Um, yeah, because yeah, I, totally I totally agree. The um, Looking into it more with CAMS, which is obviously where the referral would go into, such a high percentage of looked after children are actually, reje- their referrals are rejected because their life's too un- unstable. Um, and being a looked after child and going between foster um, homes, you're going to it's going to be unstable. But that's why they need, in my opinion, why they need the support. And like you said, why are they not all having the support automatically when they come in? Um, I spoke to one girl um, and she said she can play it very well and she wanted to be strong for her sibling. Um, she said that I didn't want to show that I was struggling. And now she's asked for the help and she's become confident enough to ask for it. And it's been refused with no no explanation. And that's made her feel even more rejected now. And I think, I, and looking at other, other looked after children in school later on, I think they've never had that support. They've had some Elsa at school, which the school have said isn't, mm-hmm isn't it's good but it's not they needed more um sticky plaster on a broken leg yeah yeah and I just think if there was something put in place right at the beginning it's not going to fix everything but at least to try and deal with the trauma they've been through yeah I I sometimes wonder if um as professionals um the teachers foster carers social workers we've become so used to the trauma of a removal and a placement um that we just get on with it but actually it very often is the first time of the experience for children and young people that we remove and place and 
that can really adjust. So there is something for me about the the empathy that we as professionals need to show to the children that we work with and help them make sense of it. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, if you've got a caseload of I don't know twenty five. Um, children um, and you've got a class of 30 um, as a teacher and you may have a couple of other children placed with you as a foster carer it's really difficult to be in that emotional place where you can mm. really help that young person to make sense of, of their experiences and their yeah. trauma and like you can't be in their head like yeah. looking at how they are and what they like you don't know how they're how they're feeling inside and mm. I mean, you only have to look at the educational outcomes to realise whatever's being done isn't enough because if the support was in place and they were getting doing doing everything to help them reach their potential, it wouldn't be there wouldn't be that much of a gap. Um, and I think it, it is more than the outcomes, educational outcomes, because it's the what they'll move on to if they haven't got their education. There's more likely to be in criminal, um, have criminal activity, what's it, teenage parenthood, substance misuse, um, suicide. It, it just, and I think for just for having that support, more support at the beginning and or throughout, I think it should be should be throughout this. Absolutely. Just, and, and actually our expectations, just because someone is a looked after child shouldn't just drop because we know that the education outcomes for looked after children are poorer than for others. Um, and I vividly remember having to advocate for a um, young person who wanted to pursue a career. And my manager said that she's a looked after child. She won't become an accountant anyway. She won't stick to that. Why would you think she sticks to that? And I was actually shocked that the expectations in that local authority from that manager at the time were that we don't actually need to really support young people because we just accept that they've been sucked into the system and it's just heartbreaking it's not it's like they're getting treated because of why they were in care they're getting looked at because of that not they're not looking being looked at separately from their case I guess whatever happened in the past yeah. which is really sad um is in the system uh, this is something I am so un don't understand don't know anything about uh, wh when you've got all the different agencies involved in a looked after child's life mm -hmm. is everything all the systems separate they are um so you may have cams you have their own system um because they usually sit under health and you may just have their own recording system um, you may have police involved who have their own recording system. You may have um, the looked after children's nurse involved. Again, that's health, but not cams, so different systems. And that may even be a different trust, depending on where you access your services. Yeah. Um, you may have the GP, who again is a different system, maybe even again, different trust. Um, you may have the, well, the school involved. You may have the virtual school involved. You may have um, another school involved if the, the child had to go to a people referral unit. Um, some of those systems may talk to each other or may not. Do you, do you think if, say, obviously not for all, well, it could be for children, I, I'm, I'm not sure, but me looking at it in a very new light, um, if looked after children had like a profile, like it was an online system that everyone put in, 
So it's a way of being able to communicate with different services through that child. So it was very personalized in, in like, instead of making it such a, I mean, in my experience, and I'm, I'm only in, in university, but the struggles I've had trying to get a conversation with a social worker that's not over email or even trying to get them to understand how serious it is and then it just kind of being brushed off. Um, it, it's so hard to communicate and to get a whole picture of each child and you've got to know the full story, you've got to do some digging and I think for schools and professionals that are coming into that child's life to not know what's going on in the full picture isn't going to help and what does that sound it it does sound uh, very coherent um, yeah. the, the issue has been with any recording systems and there have been some suggestions that went along the lines what you've just said about um having um a choice they register for looked after children and separate databases um, there are significant issues around um, data protection and human rights. Okay. So it's um, it's not possible um, to do it. Point of view. Um, so it just needs to be something that's just improved through services. Essentially, and um, I, I would say that not not everyone needs to know everything. So, for yeah. example, um, I work with a young person a young female looked after child she had significant issues around her period yeah um, and that was behavior but also physical symptoms that was impacting on her um, emotions and in turn was impacting on her education attainment she was essentially in too much pain to go to school mm. does the police need to know all of that no no i see what you're saying yeah not everyone needs to know everything everything and, yeah um we worked quite sensitively around that and somehow made it okay. Yeah. Do the parents need to know about that? In theory, you could say yes. However, this was also a young person who'd been sexually abused within the family. And okay. they need to know about that? Mm. Well, they still have parental responsibility. Yeah. Um, because she was in a after child, but the parents still held that. Um, so it then becomes really, really difficult to manage. Yeah. And as much as we as professionals may want to have that pool of information because it makes our life easier, as a young person, would I feel okay with that? When yeah. does that, my record get deleted? There yeah. may be an entry when I'm six years old and I still don't care when I'm 16. At what point do I, as a young person who's looked after, have control over what's being shared mm. about me? So it's that life. line, I guess, between being able to work in together and follow that data protection and how the yeah. children feel. Yeah, and there are. Well, I guess, like you said, with the whole periods thing, it's for that she obviously felt like she could trust you to disclose that but for a lot of children looked after children going between foster homes having different social workers they don't have that person that they can trust because i know for a lot of looked after children it's it's a lot to trust someone um so they could just be dealing with that themselves which like you said can then lead on to affect their education because it's all about being able to be in in the lesson fully isn't it and concentrate yeah yeah what do you think what would you do what do you think needs to be changed to change the outcomes for looked after children 
but well, educational outcomes um we need more resources simple as that we, we need to treat the children and young people for who they are and their children they haven't chosen to be in a situation where agencies have taken measures to remove them from their family so we shouldn't blame them for that we shouldn't attribute blame through labeling the behavior or the emotions that they may have we shouldn't blame children for maybe displaying self-harming behaviors in whatever shape or form we shouldn't call it a lifestyle choice when they're being sexually or criminally exploited and that comes with resources and being able to meet the child see a child for who they are and then support them in the way that is relevant to them and just put a service onto a child that we think is the only service that's available and yeah. then make the child for not engaging yeah it's not very personalized is it it's not it's they're the services and instead of being able to work around that child's needs yeah yeah absolutely. and um that, that just takes time it takes money it takes resources and um, probably doing that loop back again to when i started working in 2006 um, there were significant resources available i was able to see children and young people sometimes on a weekly basis um to work on a care plan together with them uh, work with the foster carers i could invest that time that was okay um, those resources um, and i see social workers as a resource and their time as a resource that's just not there there are too many pressures on the system um so if there was if I had a magic wand, I would give time and money to the public sector and the educational sector and maybe sometimes um, try to educate other professionals, police, education, foster care, social workers to work in a trauma-informed way and stop blaming children. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> That's brilliant. Thank you.